Shalom, Haksameach, Hanukkah, everyone. This is a pickup in the middle of type drosh. So, blessings before Torah were recited before this recording, and uh, enjoy. This is myself and Ishnatav and our newest Chavinger Picard, like John Luke Picard. So, uh, Captain Bacardi is with us. So, he is the Shomer version of the Punisher. So, enjoy, many blessings, and Shalom. So when you come by and, you know, the, the guards, you know, they, they would come by and they would listen, you know, to hear gambling. So then that's what we would do. We would play guilt so we could study. So, I mean, it's just a game, right? But it's it's actually, I guess, a part of our survival. Right. Guilt. I don't think they had chocolate uh, back <laughs> then, though. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past them. They're pretty intelligent people. Yeah, um, one of the other things, too, I just liked all the symbolism that uh, Hanukkah brings because, again, I mean, it's the only one that's actually mentioned, you know, in the Gospels. I mean, there's obviously Passover and, and Sukkot and, and things like that are mentioned, but, you know, why is this one chapter about the Feast of Rededication and people asking the Messiah, is he the Messiah? How long are you going to keep us in suspense? You know, and it's just kind of like, what is the significance of that? Interesting, because Mashiach means anointed, as in anointed, anointed oil. oil. Snap, snap, and nips. Both y'all know. You're going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. But something else, uh, you know. Here's something you got to be careful with because uh, I remember when I think, I think it's the King James Version. When I read, I believe it's John chapter 10. It says it came to the Feast of Dedication. And that may just roll and people don't get that. But what it's actually saying, it was the Feast of Hanukkah. Because Hanukkah in Hebrew means dedication. So it almost seems like somebody's trying to hide it. Put it away. Yes. So the believers won't celebrate it. Right. And and people, when somebody is so vehemently against you learning the things of God, you might really want to be that much more into learning those things. Because if they're trying to hide it, couldn't agree more. You it's like if find it's it. if it's a it's like it's a threat or something. Like, why why do you not want me to celebrate this? It's power. Well, I, had a, I have a tag to that, that uh, on the Jewish wisdom of the numbers, it talks about this idea of the hiddenness. So there's this concept called Or Haganus. This is the light that shone forth in Genesis 1. So when Hashem said, let there be light. So this light showed for the first three days of creation because the fourth day was when the sun and the stars and the moon and all that came forth. So now... In Hanukkah, it talks about that light that was hidden away. It's called the Or Haganus, and this is what shines during Hanukkah. Mm. So you have a hidden light. And then the the sages tell us that this light is stored away for the righteous, insinuating that if you put those dots together, the righteous getting the hidden light, the righteous observing Hanukkah, which is where the hidden light is, the righteous will find out about Hanukkah and keep it 
and experience that light that was hidden away. So here's what the wisdom of the numbers brings down. It says the custom or the prevalent custom is to light one candle on the first night of Hanukkah, two candles on the second night, etc. During the eight days, a total of 36 lights are kindled. In the works of Kabbalah, these lights correspond to the 36 hours, i.e. the three days of the primordial light that is now concealed. Again, that light in Genesis chapter 1, when God said, let there be light, that's called the primordial light, the light of Torah, the light of the Spirit, the light of Messiah. Uh, okay, so it says Hellenistic culture, which is during the time of Greece. It says they glorify the natural order, which obscures the divine hand. And you just say, why is this festival hidden away? Why is it like, call it the festival of dedication. Put it in John chapter 10, but we know we're going to hide it. We're going to cover it up. That's all about obscuring the divine hand in creation. And the Or Haganus, which is the hidden light. Due to their position or due to their opposition to godliness and their worship of nature, the Syrian Greeks as the epitome of Choshek, which is darkness, defiled the Beta Mikdash, which is the temple, which is termed Ora Shel Olam, the light of the world. That sounds familiar. Where have I? Where have we heard like this? That? Yeah. Come on, let it fly, man. Because, you know, Yeshua says you are the light of the world, right? And it says you're supposed to put your light on the table for all to see. And one of the customs is to take your Hanukkah, your Hanukkah lights, put it on the table. If you don't have a window to put it in right. or a door uh, to have a little mantle on. So you put it on the table. So when we're talking about the light of the world and we're the light, but yet the temple's the light. And then the Torah is the light. It's just like all of this is brought out during Hanukkah. And so we have so much to like chew on and meditate and think about. And uh, it's awesome. Uh, shouts out to Alex uh, and shouts out to Max. Thank you all for tuning in. Hopefully everything is coming through clear. We're just in the middle of a discussion about Hanukkah because we were questioned about it in one of our previous broadcasts. And, uh, you know, connection seems kind of unstable. So we're just restarting whenever that happens. But, yeah, you're in the middle of a throwdown right now. So, <laughs> so I wanted to tag on light. Okay, so this is from uh, Baal Hoturim. From light. You're talking about light? Light, yeah. Okay. Uh, sorry about the accent. Uh, so That's all the, right. the I'm from South Israel, <laughs> so, you know. You don't need to apologize. You're not going to lose your salvation over it. I'm okay. from as far west of Israel as you can, Texas. <laughs> I'm, from, I'm from west Israel. <laughs> <laughs> Which is Texas. Texas. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, uh, so yeah. So this is from uh, Baal Turim. The gematria of the phrase et haor, meaning the light, is equivalent to that of Torah, meaning in the Torah, and comes to a total of six thirteen. The Ooh. number of mitzvahs in the mm. Torah. Wow. And interesting, it's it. Yeah, olive tav. Yeah. The olive so tav light. Always. Mashiach, right? Yes. Or, mm -hmm. yeah. So if you look at just that phrase alone, you have Messiah, the light. Mm -hmm. And then that equals all of the commandments from Genesis through Deuteronomy. Because he is the commandments. 
So when it yes, so when it says the word of God became flesh, the commandments of God, which are the word of God, became flesh, mm-hmm. and that's Messiah, who is Hashem tabernacling with us. That's ridiculous. But you were you were wow. saying. <laughs> so um actually I didn't read all of this, I kind of skimmed across it, but this is Orkachaim uh on that previous uh thing that I read from from the Baal Mm-hmm. So I'm glad this is color coordinated because I would have lost my spot. <laughs> so um, so Orchachaim explains the seemingly unnecessary repetition of the words et haor. The light itself is good, not just the function it performs. Hell to the eye who has set eyes on that light. The repetition of the word also confirms that God saw that he had done well to conceal this light for the time being. Mm. So, again, we're back to concealment. So this whole thing about light and the festival of light, because that's another name for the Hanukkah, the festival of lights. Hey, Tan- or Chandler, thanks for joining us. Just want to shout you out, everybody who's listening. Hope y'all are uh, doing well today. Um, so... He just brought up light over here and that it's concealed. So Hanukkah, hidden festival, light, hiding the light. And this whole concept, again, Messiah says, don't hide your light, let it show. And I believe, I think it's so interesting that for Hanukkah, you're supposed to take your Hanukkah lights and put them in a place that's super visible Mm -hmm. to everyone. So, I mean, again, like we're just circling around these meaningful insights and connections on Hanukkah. All right, so hopefully uh, if there are more questions, everybody, feel free to just chime in. Um, This thing keeps stopping, but I have a backup recording going, so that's awesome. Keep going live. Let me boot this back up. We can keep going back into the partial. Okay. I I still have my John 6 tag. uh, That's often asked. Mm-hmm. So some sometimes people will ask, okay, if I if I start doing Hanukkah and I start living this lifestyle about this time, what is all forbidden? Because they don't know what they don't know. They don't know certain things that are really atrocity type stuff, atrocious type stuff. What would you guys say they need to start to handle about this time of the year? So wait, can you repeat that one more time? Okay, a lot this. of people will say, they will ask, okay, if I want to live this type of lifestyle around this time of the year, mm-hmm. what type of things do I need to refrain from doing? My first thing is, do not put a tree in your house. Don't do that. I was literally thinking, don't cut it down. Don't cut it down. Don't <laughs> where it is. Yeah, I think that would probably be uh, one of the biggest things. Um, refrain from Christmas. What about lights? Decorating your ho- uh, your house, your fence, your uh, your tree. Well, the whole thing outside. with lights came from Judaism, anyways. So I'm gonna just like we were talking about. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna throw that down. But you know, we we come up with it first. So, but you know, as far as like decorating, you can decorate for Hanukkah. Right. Yeah, and again, this is the the whole thing too because connect that with a precedent that 
the the Messiah is going to be born of a virgin. And how many pagan mythological stories and uh, accounts talk about this half God, half man born of a virgin? You know, so it's like, are we going to throw away the birth of the Messiah now because of that? You know, it's the same thing with the Hanukkah. You know, this is actually the festival that's literally all about lights. And the thing is, it gets uh, mis kind of uh, twisted a little bit. It gets twisted a little bit because now it's like everything is all electric. But back during these times when Hanukkah first came out is that how do we have light? What is the biblical precedent of light? It's an oil-burning lamp, which is why the oil light. being the, the spirit, you know, and the spirit has to light us on fire. You know, Messiah is going to make for us, immerse us in fire and water, the Holy Spirit and all that, you know. So, um, so yeah, so we look at when we decorate for Hanukkah, you know, it's literally bringing it back to its original context. The more I think we actually decorate for Hanukkah, the more it's like, wait, is it Christmas or is it Hanukkah? You know, it really brings up this this kind of like mm. two ideas that dichotomy. are, yeah, there's a dichotomy going on here. And, and I think that's really interesting because especially when we when we talk to to the fact of Mashiach, again, bring up that precedent, Mashiach born of a virgin, we know that's in Isaiah. But yet all these other books and cultures and uh, religions come out with that. And it's like, so is it Isaiah or is it like all this other stuff? And ultimately, this is always the place that God brings us to is like, we have to be at a place where we can stand in our own convictions, not be overplowed by theologies or doctrines, you know, but what is it? What is it really? You know, because when you make your choice, are you for Hashem or are you against Hashem? Are you going to choose this faith? Are you going to choose that faith? You know, you have that because that's your free will. You know, Hashem is never going to force you and be like, listen, do my Torah and you're going to, you know, burn forever if you don't. It's like you get to have that choice. Now, if you choose, there are going to be consequences, which is being outside of covenant if you don't do Torah. What does that look like? And as the Hebrew writes, that it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the Lord. So, again, make your choice. Do you want to be in covenant or not? You know, and so everybody gets this opportunity. So it's this beautiful thing with Hanukkah or Christmas. It's like, do you want to do something that pulls you into covenant? Or do you want to do something that pulls you away from covenant? There's decorations on both sides. There's light on both sides. But only one is the real light. Which I think is super interesting because there's not a precedent for Christmas celebration to light candles or oil burning lamps mm. as a testament to the miracle of God giving us the temple back, which is called the light of the world. But there is a precedent in Christmas to go out to nature and worship nature and the false light. And yes, I'm talking about the sun, because the sun, again, was the light that came later, came on day four. But the sun, again, talking about concealment, conceals what? The light. It conceals the real light. Yes. So you can kind of even look at it almost as like Christmas is just like bringing 
this idea of it's concealing something. It's covering up something. Mm. So if you can make it through, and, and this is actually the idea in Judaism called the klipa. Mm-hmm. Like the, the shell, the husk, the outer covering that conceals this amazing light. That it's like, if you can get past the tree, if you can get past the gold, if you can get past the, the holly, get past all the cinnamon smell and the presents and all that kind of stuff, there's something beyond this. Yeah. And so the very fact, I, I can almost cry now thinking how beautiful it is that we know Hanukkah and we're doing it. And we're so far from that other thing. I kind of got to kind of have a tag. I don't, I don't know. So, it, you know, and I'm going to add two things to that. It's kind of like when uh, Scripture says that, you know, the goy is going to grab our seat seat. Right. Yeah. Because they're going to see that outward. You know, Ooh. Who, who, who's your God, they're going to ask. Right. So and it's the same thing during this particular season, during, you know, Hanukkah and, you know, uh, Christmas, is, you know, we're not going to go out of our way to decorate and, you know, get our front yard and outside of our house looking all, mm-hmm. well, dare I say, kind of a Christian, you know, with all the lights, because the world is going to see it as we're, we're mimicking them. And mm. fortunately, it is the other way around, but, you know, it's, it's kind of, I guess, at face value the way they're going to see it. So what do we do? We just we get the menorah and we just put it in the window. Right. And they're going to, you know, they're going to see that. Oh, well, they're Jews. You know, so it's kind of concealing and revealing at the same time because the celebration is inside. But we're letting that light shine whoa, out into, whoa. into a, yeah. So they're going to see. Wow. Just a little. Never thought about it that way. Yeah, it's concealing and revealing. So, but, you know, it's, you know. So the external showing a little bit, but the greater light's inside. Exactly. Mm. So it, it's just enough mm. for them to be like, well, what's going on over there? And come on inside and see. Come, exactly. Come on inside. Celebration's here. And the, wow. I, I can actually add more to that too. Come uh, on. With um, don't be scared. With the wedding. Yeah, because what people yeah. get to experience at the wedding—that's not the marriage. No, it's. Oh, no. do you hear this guy? So, the, so this, I mean, you're this, gonna let him keep doing this? Yeah. Hey. Uh, Come on, if, uh, uh, Sharesh, Picardi. Uh, if Sharesh hears this later, bring it. <laughs> uh, chop you up. Dude, you and Groot, man. Uh, All right, so I want to go back because we're, we're in the tour portion. We kind of swerved way off into Hanukkah because, again, we were asked about Hanukkah. And so, uh, what is it, 30 minutes later, we're still talking about it. Anyway, uh, we don't know much about Hanukkah, you know, so I'm just... Anyway, um, so we were talking about this whole thing in Genesis 42 about the grain or the hope, because the grain and the hope were all synonymous related here in the text, that this, there's going to be uh, this grain that gives life. And this was in Egypt. And this was talking about Joseph, who is, again, the prototype of the Redeemer, the Messiah. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that's John chapter 6. So in John chapter 6... It starts off in verse 47 that says, Amen, Amen, I tell you, whoever believes has eternal life. Now, I want to stress this word believe because it's a two-part word in Hebrew. It's called amuna, and it's literally an act 
that establishes your faith, that whatever your thought and cognitive process from your heart to your mouth to your brain, all that, because when something comes out of your mouth, it filters from your heart into your brain and then it comes out. So when you're looking at this belief, it's an action as well as a proclamation. So when, when Yeshua is saying whoever believes, that's what he's talking about. There's, there's a, a manifestation or an expression of this belief. And he says, I am the bread of life. So when we're looking at this grain that Yosef is storing up in Egypt, so you have the Messiah who's literally placed as king in the world, he has that which can give life to the world. But people have to come to him first and follow his command in order to partake of it. Because what, what does it say in the text that um, the people came to Pharaoh and, and they were like, we want to get food. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, go to Joseph. And they're like, uh, he tells us we got to get circumcised. And it's just like, we don't want to get circumcised. It's Jewish. We don't want to do that. And he's like, well, did you not store up food for yourself? Like we did, but it rotted. It's like, well, Joseph's food was stored and it didn't rot. So either you're going to get that or you're not going to have anything. You're going to choose a fast day. So, you know, so I just think that's interesting when you was talking about, I am the bread of life. And we're seeing that in the tour board. Oh, I got a lot to add to that. Uh, real quick, right, so okay. Psalms 146.5. 146.5. It says, Happy is he that hath God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Now, Whoa. What, what does this verse have to do with what we're talking about? How does this verse in 146 have anything to do with Bereshit 42? Well, the reason that they're connected is because the word for hope is none other than Shever, wow. which is um, in here where it says provision, or some may read corn. This is the same word, hope. Wow. It's translated hope in uh, um, Psalm 146. Interesting. That's all well, do your thing, man. <laughs> do your thing. So I'm, I'm gonna tag on what you said after him, if there's any space left. So <laughs> you know what, with what you were talking about, um, grain, and it kind of made me think about you know his dream where the wheat is bowing down to him, and then I was thinking about uh, the parable that Yeshua was uh, saying about the wheat and the tares. So it's interesting that, you know, um, that Yosef was storing up, you know, grain, you get grain from wheat, so he's storing up that to feed the nation. So Yeshua is storing us up. To feed. Yeah, to feed. We're likened to the grain that's stored up by the Redeemer to feed the world. Absolutely. Probably crushed and pressed. Because the only way that you can see the Yeah, purity, like the, the meal, like the with, grain you go get in if you bake it. Yeah, well, I mean, we're also like olives, too, because wow. the only way that you yes. see security is by crushing. <sighs> so and I, I kind of think, too, at the same time, that, you know, Yeshua was going to, you know, come. He's going to find his people, you know, the wheat by their smell. So, I mean, is that smell going to be olive oil or is it going to be apples? I think maybe olives. It's like the fruit of the tree. Yeah. Hence why it's, it says you shall know a tree by its fruit. Mm-hmm. 
Because uh, one of the things about grain, by the way, when we were in the garden, grain used to grow directly out of the earth, like as bread. So like it wasn't like you had to have this whole process of like harvest it in, separate it out and pound it down and grind it up, make it into dough and then bake it. And, like it came directly loaves, out of the earth. Loaves. Yes. Like manna style, you know. And I think it's interesting. What's our blessing for bread? Bread from the earth, Lekka mean Haaretz. Yeah. And you just liken that to us who are Messiah's people. Absolutely. All right. So there's a, I, I can probably find it if I had a moment, but just real quick before we go back to 146 Psalms over here, that uh, it says that the converts are going to be likened to grain that is baked into loaves uh, for uh, food. Uh, because that we will be revived when we come into Torah, because we we were all taught Torah before we were born. Like we, the sages bring that down in the womb, right? So it says that uh, through learning the, the Midrash, through learning the oral Torah, like the Mishnah and all that, it's going to like make us into like a loaf of bread. And so, you know, again, so there's already that precedent laid down that, you know, Messiah's people who he leads back to Hashem, back to God, you know, we're going to be like food. And then we're supposed to go out, which is the significance of Yeshua telling his disciples, oh, the people are hungry? Oh, well, you feed them. And they're like, we don't have any food? Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, what do we got? Uh, we got uh, five loaves and two fish. All right, bring it over here. That's enough. That's plenty. And I think it's interesting that there are five books of Torah and there are two Torahs. There's a written Torah, there's an oral Torah, and then there's five books of the written Torah. And there's five books of Psalms, because Psalms are likened to the Torah. So there's, again, two Torahs. There's Genesis through Deuteronomy, and there's also the book of Psalms. That's why it's split into five books. So, on 146, it literally says that um, the word for help here... Oh, no. It's got... Okay, so first of all... The word for help is Ezro, uh, and that's all about the Ezer, like the, the, the one who will be like not only uh, help and, and guide, but also counsel. But it puts the word for hope, Shever, right after that. So the, the hope and the help that we have is the bread of life. It's basically what Psalm 146.5 is saying. Now, the commentary says, Behold, I am with you, and I will watch over you and return you to your land, as in Genesis 28.15, cited by Rashi. Going on to say, the psalmist singles out our patriarch Jacob, since he epitomized trust in God. Okay, so the whole nation of Israel is likened after Jacob, right? Right. And who is Jacob's offspring? It's Joseph, which is the Redeemer. And then, so all of Israel truly is found in the Redeemer. And this is the epitome of trusting in God. Okay, so it says, When Esau plotted to kill him, Jacob fled to Laban. But he did not put his trust in Laban for his sustenance, Rather, he said of God, and he will give me food to eat and a garment to wear, Genesis 28, 20. Mm. So, too, we, as Jacob's descendants, 
put our trust in God, trusting that he will redeem us from exile. So like there's this whole thing which takes us back to the wilderness that Hashem would rather us instead of crying out and complaining, oh, I'm thirsty. Oh, I'm hungry. Did you bring us out here to die? It's like, excuse me, you're surrounded by Hashem, like clouds of glory, rock giving you water and manna raining down. Like if you're hungry, go ask. And again, let's go back to the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. Yeshua told the Talmudim, the disciples, you feed the people. And they're like, wait, what? And he's like, what do we got? He's like, hey, guys, like, think about this. I'm commanding you to feed the people. That must mean you have something. You know, and it's like the even the Messiah is telling us, put your hope in God. Because what you have is meant to feed people, you know? And so again, and, and like you just so beautifully brought down that we are the bread for the world, yeah. you know? This is ridiculous right now. <laughs> but yeah, because um, one of the things I've been thinking about is how we're supposed to be asking God for everything, you know, like it, like just even the trivial things. One of the things that I've been putting into practice every day is like when I travel to work, uh, I was reading a, a commentary two tour portions ago, and it says that when you say the blessing for who directs the footsteps of man and the morning blessings of our Siddur, it says if you ever feel like you've, you've said that blessing and then you go travel somewhere, and if you ever feel like, oh, I shouldn't have went this way or I can't believe this way is cut off or da, 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 it's like, why did you even say that blessing in the morning blessings? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you've completely just dissolved your own faith because you've said a blessing in vain. Because if you said that blessing, that means Hashem did plan for you to be off course, plan for you to take this detour, which means there's something there that Hashem wants you to see. And there's something of a reason for why you're there. And so I've been praying that blessing and I follow it up by saying, and I ask that you would please give me uh, traveling grace to work, mm-hmm. you know, and be more specific to make it on time. <laughs> like if I need to get off course or whatever, may it be so that I can do that and do whatever you want me to do because I'm your servant. But uh, more so, I do want to pray that you help me get to work on time because, you know, obviously you have things that you want accomplished. And, you know, who am I to tell you, no, Shem, you're not going to get to do that. So it's just kind of like when we have to understand putting our trust in God, it can even be for something simple like I just want to make it to work today (laughs) so I can clock in on time and be a good worker, you know, and it's just like, yeah, you can put your put your trust in God like simple as that. Mm-hmm. So, an attitude of gratitude. We all need to work on that. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I just stumbled on this thing. Shouts out to go to the Mighty Haver and his wife. Mighty Haver. Because she does the Musar class. Oh, is, yeah. This is under Musar, and this is the verse that we just read. The Talmud, Ta'anit, Tinbi. On which Rashi bases his first explanation, comments that although Yaakov and his family were not short of provision, ooh, Yaakov, because remember, I mean, when we read about Mitzrayim and the plagues, 
we had light when they had darkness. So I guess the same type of what does Rabbi always say? Look at the uh, look at the uh, the pattern. The pattern. Yeah, the look pattern. at the pattern. Yeah. Okay. So we had grain, and the other people didn't. But but Rashi is saying here. Uh, Yaakov and his family were not short of provision. Yaakov told his sons not to arouse the envy of their neighbors by appearing to have ample supplies. The Zohar feels that by provoking one's neighbor, envy one also provokes heavenly just ju judgment. Ooh. Mm. So attitude of gratitude. And when you have something, don't don't make people envious of you. Be grateful because you got it. You got it, and you can't take it with you. It's yours for a season, and it could be gone just as fast as it came, as fast as it goes. Wow. Boy, this thing keeps cutting off. But again, got the backup going. So Baruch Hashem. I think we're on verse three. <laughs> <laughs> Thirty minutes later. Don't you just love this? Verse three. Um, that last thing you just said a second ago about attitude of gratitude. We're showing uh, this beautiful uh, opportunity of pushing away gra uh, uh, wrath and judgment. Like that, we distance ourselves from that. The more gratitude that we have, as opposed to stirring up envy and jealousy, which like is a magnet for like the wrath of God and the evil eye to like, oh really? Okay, I'm gonna mess some things up for you. But if you're like, no, I'm just thankful, Hashem. Like you're amazing. Like it's just like you're pushing all that bad stuff away. So that's really neat thinking about that. If we ever feel like, you know, we're ever going through times in our life where, can I just get a break? It's like, are you you thankful for stuff or what's been going on? And on that note, uh, like Rabbi says, if you're not going through something, you might want to check yourself because you might not be in Adonai's will. Because uh, he tests those whom he loves like he tested Abraham. Mm. And it's not for for him to know is for us to know. Uh, a lot of times, there's always what they call what is said uh, a silver. Uh, what is it? A silver lining, mm -hmm. something like that. There's always something that you can look at and say, "Man, this is good." Maybe 99 bad things, but this one here is good. And uh, you know, you'll take that one thing and you'll grow from it. And you'll cherish. It. It'll be like a gem. And uh, also, when you're going through those times. It's always good to look and own whatever you did wrong. It, even if you've done something wrong, if you Tag. own that, that right there is a blessing in itself because there are plenty of people who are blind who don't know what they've done and they have no power until they realize that they can control themselves. So this word that you're talking about for the, the troubles? Okay. Okay, so the word is... Y'all may not be able to see this, but he's smiling. He's got some big. <laughs> he's about to pull out one of them wapows. Remember when Yeshua says, uh, my peace I give to you, but not as the world gives. Mm -hmm. 
For in this world you will have troubles, but take heart because I've overcome the world. That word for troubles is the Hebrew word zara, zara. which is zadi resh hey, which can be rearranged to zadi hey resh, which is zohar. Oh. So zohar is likened to a light, and it's also called a window. So when we're talking about you're going through things, and if you've gone 40 days without going through something, then you might want to be a little... Uh, nervous about that because that's showing that you're a little bit distant from Hashem. But even when you go through something, that in your Zara, there's a Zohar. Like even in your troubles, there's a place of light and there's a window of opportunity for you to be thankful and gracious. You know, and so, like, when we're talking about this whole thing about uh, having thankfulness, having gratitude. Even if things are just like falling apart all around you, it's like, what can I be thankful for? And that little window like takes you through into like all the beautifulness and all the light. So you can literally overcome your troubles through being a person of gratitude. And again, when we talk about this Zohar, the Zohar is actually connected to Yeshua because again, he is that light and he says that you're going to go through troubles. And I want to bring up the precedent that in the boat, when it was stormy and the disciples were freaking out, they're like, oh, my gosh, we're going to die. Yeshua is asleep in the boat. And they wake him up. They're like, what are you doing? We're going to die. Don't you care that we're perishing? He wakes up and he's like, shalom aleichem to the water and the wind. And they all stop. And he looks back at the disciples and and he's just like, why why did you doubt? You have little faith. Mm You know, and it's like Yeshua is showing himself to be that Zohar right there. Like even in the midst of all of this, if you're connected with me, if you look at this light, go through this window, like we'll, we'll make it. It looks like you're going to perish, but you're going to make it just like it did at the at the Red Sea, the Yom Suf, yeah. the Sea of Reeds. Look like we we're not going to make it. And all of a sudden, a Zohar a opening mm. went through. Hanukkah is another one of those. Yes. We look like we're doomed because the army of Greece was so numerous. Dude. And and then when we defeated one segment, a regime, here comes two more. Yeah. And we defeated them. You know, it's interesting when you said Zara, and you said that means troubles. Yeah. Because at first I thought you were... There you go. Zara. I thought you were going to say Zarat. Right, like uh, leprosy. <clears throat> leprosy, because, you know, if we find ourselves, you know, kind of stagnant, you know, we can either go Zohar or we can go, you know, exile. Mm. So, because we're so unclean. Wow. So. And how do we get leprosy, though? How do we get leprosy? <sighs> yep. Yeah. And who has the authority to tell us we have leprosy? The Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol, the high priest. Mm. That coming now. The insight from Zarah comes from Azaria. Mm. Okay. Nice. Nice. Doing a play on words over here. You are the Punisher. The Punisher. (laughs) Yes. Nice. Oh wow. Oh yes. I'm a punny guy. uh, Azaria (laughs) means uh, whom God has helped. Ooh. 
Come yeah, on. So that, that's what my name is. I want to bring up Maccabees. So, again, I bought this Catholic Bible to study the Hanukkah story. Just thought it was amazing. In chapter 3 of 1 Maccabees, it says this in uh, verse uh, 13. There is a king of the Syrian army. His name is Seron. And some uh, some translations say Sauron, which makes me think of Lord of the Rings with uh, the evil wizard Sauron with that evil eye. Right. So anyway, uh, he says that this is the commander of the Syrian army. He heard that Judah Maccabee gathered a large company, a bunch of Jews, including a body of faithful soldiers who stayed with him and went out to battle. So Sauron, he said... I will make a name for myself and win honor in the kingdom. I will make war against Judah Maccabee and his companions who scorn the king's command, which, by the way, was under the king of Greece. Uh, and it was delegated down to Antiochus Epiphanes because he was the one that was in charge of this section of the Greek kingdom. There, It was split into four, which, again, connect that back to Daniel when it was talking about the four kingdoms. So anyway, but um, so Sauron was like, OK, so we got these Jews over here that are going against the king and I'm going to do something about it because they think they're all that in a bag of chips. Hmm. This little group destroying legions and squadrons of Greek armies. Well, I'm going to take my army and go against them. So it says in verse 15, once again, a strong army of godless men went up with him to help him to take vengeance on the Israelites. When he approached the ascent of Bet Haron, Judah Maccabee went out to meet him with a small company. <laughs> Judah was like, "All right, give me, give me my Fab Five over here, or no, give me the Fantastic Four. All right, here we go. <laughs> All right, so the Fantastic Four, Judah Maccabee, small company, using a little artistic expression here. It says in verse seventeen, but when they saw the army coming to meet them, so the small group, right?" They go out and they're like, yeah, we got this. And then they say, oh, snap, Sauron. Seriously? It says, they said to Judah Maccabee, how can we, few as we are, fight against so great and so strong a multitude? We got a few people against this giant army. Here's, here's Judah's answer. Judah, this is, this is like straight gangster right here. This is West Coast gangster style. He says, it's easy for many to be hemmed in by a few. For in the sight of heaven, in the sight of heaven, there is no difference between saving by many or by few. It is not on the size of the army that the victory of the battle depends, but the strength comes from heaven. They come against us in great insolence and lawlessness, i.e. without the Torah, to destroy us and our wives and our children and to despoil us. But we fight for our lives and for our laws, i.e. we fight for the Torah. He himself, the Torah, literally Judah Maccabee says he himself, like the Torah, mm -hmm. will crush them before us. As for you, do not be afraid of them. So it's like, okay, so it's us and we got this great arm we're going to fight against. But guys, 
we we're fighting with the Torah. Like the Torah is gonna go before us, mm-hmm. just like the Ark went before us in the in the uh, wilderness, mm-hmm. took out the snakes and scorpions. Just like every battle we fought in Israel when we crossed over the Jordan, the Ark went out to in battle with us to dis- to vanquish our enemies. Same thing is happening here in this Hanukkah story. So when we're talking about like battling and fighting and like you know it's like a small group of people versus this giant uh country or giant nation of of oppressors of enemy it's just like the torah is going to fight for us so in hanukkah this is all about rededicating ourselves to the torah so this hopeless time of like the world is overrun with christmas and all this fake holiday stuff and all this idolatry and it's like oh we're little jews we got our little hanukkah What's going to happen? It's like, we can do more with eight lights than we can with a whole city of, like, string lights and tall trees and stuff. Mm. Kind of makes me think a lot about <clears throat> when... Uh, yeah, and Gideon. we shut the thing down again. <laughs> <laughs> Can't handle it. Yeah, it makes me think a lot about uh, Gideon. Yeah. Mm. Uh, you know, he defeated the, uh, the Philistines, right? Yep. With... Uh, just a, a very modest little army. And what did he use? Uh, uh, really oh, cool, he really did, cool, actually, yeah. A really cool uh, shofar band. And, uh, a shofar band? band. <laughs> good, good. And uh, torches, you know, fire. Wow, i.e. the Torah. Yeah. Or the lights of the Hanukkah. Torches. You know, there's nothing to say that he didn't go out there with, you know, just big, giant, you know, uh, menorahs. Wow. He used fire. Yeah. And, uh, you know, noise. And it literally connected those blasts of the shofar to the uh, flashes of lightning that came from those shattered vessels. Mm -hmm. I want to read about that. Real quick, uh, somebody told me that uh, in the Seven Day War, or when Israel was getting the independence, that they were outnumbered two. Six Day War. Yes, they were. Yeah. And one of the things that they did was they took a a note from Gideon, mm-hmm. and they looked at what he was doing, the lights. Yep. That the people who were seeing it thought that every time that the light that they saw were a battalion, mm-hmm. and they thought they were outnumbered. And so they got on the the radio and started doing all these signals. And so when the they they when the signals were intercepted, they thought we're being outnumbered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I've actually been so blessed to uh, to read the military strategy that they used during that. It's if what? y'all get, if y'all got a chance to read that. Where is it at? Um, well, I, I I did an audio book, um, but I, I kind of googled it and it's just everywhere. It's on a is it in the Legend of the Jews? Um, well, no. Like when the, during the Six Day War, like what they actually. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the the Air Force, uh, Israeli Air Force. So there's an audio book on it. Um, yeah. There's also yeah. guerrilla warfare strategy that comes straight from Maccabee, Judas mm-hmm. himself. Wow. Yeah, we fight violent. Well, <laughs> considering, too, there's the Krav Magra, by the way, is a Jewish thing. Right. Because it comes literally from the word Korban. Okay. The word Krav is from the word Kor- Karav, which is the root of Korban. So when we talk offering. about the sacri- yeah, the offering, the sacrifices, it's literally offering sacrifices Magra, magra like this fight style. And then there's the whole insight that uh, 
using the Hebrew letters, there are different combat moves that are based off of each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So you can literally fight a physical fight with the spiritual letters of the Aleph Tav. Mm. So this from Aleph to Tav, 22 letters. 22 uh, moves will get you some. <laughs> oh, here it some. is. <laughs> All right, so here's uh, the whole Lapid and torches and lightning story. It's Judges chapter 7. I'm going to pick up with uh, verse 15. It says, When Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped and returned to the camp of Israel and said, Get up, for the Lord has given the army of Midian. So, not the Philistines in this one, but the uh, Midianites. It says, So Hashem has given them into our hand. After he divided the 300 men into three companies. All right. So it says he put shofars into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches, lapidot, inside the jars. So you got an empty jar of, a fl of flames. And then you got a shofar in your other hand. So this is interesting. It's like, you know, those little uh, brick ovens. Mm -hmm. With the little fire that's in the bottom of them. Like, imagine that being, like, carryable, handheld size. That's what they have. So they have a shofar in one hand. They have this little little brick fire oven in their other hand. So it says, he said to them, this verse 17, look at me and do the same. So imitate me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, when I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. Mm. <laughs> Yeshua in Matthew 28 says, teach the world everything I've taught you. <laughs> he says, so when I blow the trumpet, the shofar, and I who are with me, then you shall blow the shofar around the whole camp and shout. So I need you to sound the shofar while holding this torch in your hand. And then I also need you to say these words for the Lord and for Gideon. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the shofars, smashed the jars that were in their hands so that three companies blew the shofars and broke the jars holding in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the shofars. Side note, the Hanukkah is supposed to be held on the left side of the door. Okay. While the mezuzah is on the right side of the door. Okay. So the mezuzah is likened to the shofar that was in the right hand. And the Hanukkah wow. is likened to the torch that's in the left hand. You want to hear something really wild? The mezuzah I have is shaped like a shofar. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> I seen it, I'm like, this is great. I love this one. I can't wait to put it up. All right, can I finish? No, I was just kidding. Anyway, by the way, that's one thing we say. Like, if we swerve too much and it's like somebody was reading something, like, could you let him finish? All right, so uh, anyway, so where was I? All right, so that verse 19, smash the jars. Okay, verse 20. 20. So the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars holding in their left hands 
the torches, uh, and then their right hands the shofar to blow, and they cried a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Interesting. Because mm. in verse 18, it just says for the Lord and for Gideon. Now it, just, now it says a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. 21, every man stood in his place all around the camp, and all the men in the camp ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, shofars, the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow and against all the army, and the army fled as far as Beit Shittah to, towards Zerar, Zerar, as far as the border of Abe, or Abel Me, Mehola, Abel Mehola, by Tabat. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from Almanashe, and they pursued after the Midianites. Why not just finish this out? Okay. Yeah. Then Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, northern kingdom, saying, Come down against the Midian, Midianites and seize the waters against them as far as Beit Barah and also to the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out and they seized the waters as far as Beit Barah mm -hmm. and also the Jordan. They captured the two captains of Midian, Oreb and Zeb, and they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed in the at the winepress of Zeb. That's interesting, because the rock ties us back to the rock that gave water to the children in uh, the wilderness, and then the winepress being where the grapes are crushed, and we get wine from that. So you have water and wine right here. And um, that's like into the blood and the water that poured out of the side of Messiah, which happened upon the uh, the moment of victory over death and darkness. So this is happening right here. And it says, and they, as they pursued the Midianites, they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon beyond the Jordan. So what I love about this story is that through the shofar and through the lapide and through shouting out the word of God, that the army turned on itself and fought each other and also ran away in the process. <laughs> so, like, that's just insane just thinking about that. <clears throat> so, happy Hanukkah. <laughs> the light and the shofar. There's a little thing in here where... Oh, here it is, 157B. Let's see if I can find this. This is going to come from the uh, Midrash of the Psalms. So, to those who are listening, by the way, our. Uh, oh, it just went off again. I was going to tell everybody that. Uh, we're rebroadcasting and everything. 157b, that uh, Israel is called by Joseph's name, which is tied to the Aliyah day-to-day. -day. It says, the Jewish nation is also called by Joseph's name long after he sustained them during the Egyptian famine. 
clearly Joseph's contribution is an everlasting one. Oh. I can't. I can't. Can you finish this? Just don't throw it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to do after that. Like, what? An everlasting contribution. Yeah. Means it doesn't stop. Right. It sounds familiar. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to try. Okay. So, the physical nourishment he provided was the manifestation of a spiritual nurturing that endures for eternity. Of the manifestation of the spiritual nurturing. Wow. <laughs> Used to say that... Like the bread? Like the bread. Of heaven? It's a spiritual thing? But it's physical, like you have to physically eat it? She wants to eat my flesh, drink my and blood? It, and it continues to give. Yes! Yeah, in fact, he says something. Your fathers ate mana and and hungered again. Yeah, but this which I give you, you'll never right. You'll or never thirst. hunger or thirst. That's amazing. Uh, it's like an everlasting, an everlasting <laughs> salvation. <laughs> wow. I'm going to run in a backup recorder because this thing... Okay, you got it? You got what? something? No. Okay. But yeah, that what you're talking about, that's the... It keeps going in uh, John 6, uh, later in 47, 48, 49, into what you just said. So, it says, what, what set Joseph apart from his brothers? So think about this with the Messiah, because he's king of the Jews, right? So... What sets him apart from his brothers, i.e. the nation? Was his ability to thrive in an adverse environment? Like when Joseph was thrown into the pit and somehow he survived that. Mm -hmm. He was sold into slavery numerous times. Somehow he survived that. Somehow he survived in Potiphar's house and even after Potiphar's wife and then thrown into the dungeon. Somehow he survived that. <laughs> Even um, when he's crucified and he survived. Somehow he survived that. That, yeah. <laughs> Just straight to well, the top. Joseph, we been Never mind, go ahead. Okay, so, yeah, so he could do that. Joseph's brothers chose shepherding as an occupation because it's ascetic nature allowed them to remain committed to God. I want us to think about this real quick because we're Jews, right? But yet there's seemingly like we're like we're different kind of Jews or we're like disconnected and like there's normal Judaism and then there's like this Lapi Torah Yeshua Judaism. But yet it's like guys, we're we're all Jews and many people who have left our shul they think, oh, we're illegitimate because we keep being called illegitimate. Nobody recognizes our conversions. We can't make Aliyah, da 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 da, right? 
So think about that whole situation and circumstance in light of this. Because what sets us apart from our brothers? Because who are we ultimately attached and connected to so much that we're considered one? The brother who's rejected and outcast, who is what? A Jew. Who goes to Rome? I mean, uh, yeah. Mitzrayim. Yeah. One of those things. Freudian slip. One yeah. of those things. Yeah, right? But we have the we have the ability to thrive. All right, check this out. So the brothers, they chose shepherding, right? Because mm-hmm. it allows them to com- remain committed to God. So, like, you can set up your Eruv. You can, you know, say we don't want to make any converts and everybody needs to know the Shulchan Aruch and we're going to hide in our little observance over here. And if you don't do it our way, you know, then you're wrong or you're illegitimate. Right. That's shepherding. But check this out. It says they knew that their spiritual devotion could not survive in a secular milu. Oh, So if we don't do this, if we don't have our little parameters and like, you know, Jewish household grew up and all this kind of orthodox, I know the Hebrew, like outside of that, there's no way anybody could be a Jew. There's no way there can be Jews in Egypt. There's no way there can be Jews from Rome. Because they don't think that spiritual devotion can be found there. So it says, Joseph, however, possessed a remarkable, notice the adjective here, remarkable spiritual endurance. Not just a little. Not just a little, but like, oh my gosh, like, wait, what? There's grain in Egypt? Wait, what? Okay, I'm trying, I'm trying to do this. All right, I'm half succeeding. It says... (laughs) Throughout his enslavement to Potiphar, his impoverishment or his imprisonment, his eventual ascension to the throne, his commitment to living a godly life never wavered. When Joseph's brothers joined him in Egypt, they needed an infusion of his spiritual stamina. Mm. What is Rabbi saying? We're going to need to infuse Lapid, like the divine sparks, like what? His resilience became a part of them, i.e. their nourishment. It literally says it. Oh, nourishment. (laughs) Like an everlasting nourishment. Everlasting nourishment. Like when you eat bread and it nourishes your body. By the way, for anyone who's listening, we're talking about Joseph in Egypt, the end of Genesis, like those last chapters. And he is showing us a picture of the Messiah, Yeshua, commonly known as Jesus of today. So anyway, so we're making all these connections. Hopefully that's coming across. But anyway, it says from then on, the endurance of Joseph was carved. The endurance of Joseph was carved like Nail holes in the hand and in the feet, pierced in the side. It's carved within the Jewish soul. Because we are indebted to Joseph for our spiritual fortitude, we forever bear his name. (laughs) Because we can't 
like we were bought with the price, so therefore we have his name. Because <laughs> we can't pay that price. You need to get some help. <laughs> okay, this is three lines. Three lines, okay? It says, this song is a poignant plea on behalf of the exiled Jew. It invokes our relationship with Joseph. Wow. <laughs> and our ability to overcome... The troubles of the world. I mean, wait. Overcome the trials of exile. <laughs> My peace I give to you, not as the world oh, gives. Yeah. Take heart, for I've overcome the world. This is all Psalm 80, by the way. Okay. Uh, Rabbah, Lola. Uh, thank you for that. Toda Rabbah means thank you very much. And Hoxmeak to you, too. All right. Trying to get good at this whole listener thing, but uh, yeah, Brukashem, this is amazing. All right, so again, we're in the middle of just studying some Hanukkah, studying this week's Torah portion, which is found in Genesis uh, chapter forty-one through all the sirens, uh, the like those few chapters, forty-one, forty-two, forty-three, hut, blue, forty-two, hut. All right, anyway. <clears throat> So yeah, so this is Psalm 80, talking about us having the name of Joseph, which is pretty much extended to be like the name of the Messiah. So if you ever wonder why uh, people uh, in the colloquial terms call themselves Christians because it's supposed to be from the name of the Messiah, which is Christ, that prototype is actually found in Judaism by the whole nation having the name of the Messiah who descends from Joseph. So, uh, Josephians would be kind of like the way to say that. Or you can just say Yehudi, which is Jew, because that comes from the name of the Messiah, uh, which is Yehuda, because Judah and Joseph are actually combined in order to bring forth the Messiah. Because if you know a little known character named Boaz, that's where Joseph's lineage and Judah's lineage cross and become one. So that way, the Messiah who's supposed to descend from Joseph and supposed to descend from Judah, they're all met in Boaz, who is like the great, 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 great granddad of King David. So, yeah. One thing I wanted to say about Joseph. Very interesting. We talk about an attitude of gratitude. Also, another good thing to have is an attitude of giving. And oh, it seems like Yosef had received something or had something. Yeah. Uh, like Adonai's Torah, his word, his hope. Ooh, ooh, come and on. he wanted to give it. He didn't want to keep it under a bushel. He wanted to give it to the Mitzrayim, the Egyptians, and whomsoever would. Wait, shine light to it. the world? Yes. Oh. He, he had the light in him that mm. he wanted to share. Not like the brothers who wanted to stay in the land oh. and stay in the quarters, stay in their walls, and not venture out. Wait, you just read that at the beginning of chapter 42. Jacob telling the sons, don't act like we're not in need. Yeah. Go to Egypt. What's wrong with you? So just like us, you know, we I'm sure we all have regrets that we've done and we've done Teshuva for many things. Why would we want to keep that hidden away? Why would we want to keep that in our walls? Why wouldn't we want to go and share that to Shuba 
with other people who need Teshuvah, who need to repent, who needs to turn around, who needs a new life, who needs hope, who needs light. Why would we keep that to ourselves? We should definitely be like Yosef and go out. Wow. I couldn't agree more. And you think about think about the properties of light. Is light not a giving entity? It is. There's nothing receptive about light. Like, I mean, yeah, you have to receive it, like the vessels that it gets put into. But light doesn't just go around going, please give me something. I have nothing to give. Light's all about giving. Come on, man. I am rebooting the live for the 50,000th time. <laughs> but let's see how many minutes we've... Kashem, we've recorded over an hour and seven minutes of Get You Some. I do plan on posting this on Anchor, by the way. This this is just insane what's happening right now. <clears throat> okay, so to your point about what uh, Yosef had inside of him, if we go back to my parasha, Vayashev, come on. It talks about when um, these are the generations of Yaakov. Joseph? Joseph. Right? So, check this out. It talks about Joseph being a son of his old age. Alright, where is that at? Ben Zekunim. Let's see. So, the first purpose the first the whole purpose of Yaakov um no let's go here it says so Yosef's facial features bore a striking resemblance to those of Jacob again this is from Rashi on Genesis 37 2 and it says that um further what happened to Yaakov also happened to Yosef the one who was hated and the other who was hated uh, in the case of the one his brother wished to kill him. So, too, in the case of his of the other, his brother Ren wished to kill him. So, again, it's bringing down, OK, Yaakov on one side, Yosef on the other. OK, so both of them were hated by their brothers and their brothers wanted to kill them. Oh, yeah. He's uh, hated. <laughs> wow. OK, so then it says that. Um, Many similarities are pointed out in Genesis Rabbah 84.5. Do, is that in there? Is that in this? 84.5. Because if, if we do, we need to read that immediately. 84.5. And in 84.8. Um, I want to get to the Ben Zekanim drop because that talks about... Uh, what Joseph had inside of him, son of his old age. Here we are. Yep. You have it? 84. Five. Oh gosh, it's about to get real. Take cover. In Vayeshev? Uh, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, Let it fly. Ooh, Flood it. Alright, I'm just going to read. Alright. <clears throat> All right, so this is in uh, the Midrash Rabbah, um, 84.5. So it starts with, the Midrash offers a new explanation of why our verse is necessary 
and of why it states um, and why it states uh, well the Hebrew is going to kind of throw me off there where'd you get because uh, it's so small that is Megure Megure uh, Sojournings Sojourn ah yes uh, instead of uh, Yeshuv Yeshuv uh, settlements. Wow. Okay. Soldiers and uh, settlements. Wow. Uh, what is written above the current topic? These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom, etc. Uh, as it is written here, uh, Jacob settled. So, Jacob settled. So, Rabbi Chunya uh, said... It is analogous to one who walked to one who was walking on the road and he saw a pack of dogs and was afraid of them and so he sat down among them he was afraid of them so he sat down among them similarly once our forefather Jacob saw Esau and his chieftains he became afraid of them and so he settled among them Facing your fears. Oh, what? Like a pack of dogs, huh? A pack of dogs, yeah. Facing your fears. Wow. Uh, so the Midrash offers another explanation of how Jacob was able to live and kind of on and overcome his fear of living near Esau. Rabbi oh, Levi said, deep. It is analogous to a blacksmith whose... Forge was open unto the city square, and the door of the workshop of his son, a goldsmith, was open opposite the forge. One day the blacksmith saw bundles uh, upon bundles of thorns being brought into town, and he exclaimed in dismay, Where will all these bundles go? A certain intelligent individual was standing there, and he said to the blacksmith, of these thorns are you afraid? Let one speak issue from your forge and go spark and and one spark from your sons and you incinerate them. Talks a lot about fire. Similarly when our forefathers the house of Jacob is a fire and Joseph's a flame. Oh yeah. Um so then it says, similarly, when our forefather Jacob saw Esau and his chieftains, he became afraid. The Holy One, blessed is he, said to him, Of these men are you afraid? Let one spark issue from your forge and one spark from your sons. Which and is Joseph. Mm -hmm. uh, hang on, stop. The say lot to what you just read is he saying like, so you have a bunch of like ravenous wolves, enemies, wild pack of dogs surrounding you. Mm -hmm. I need you to go ahead and just sit down in the midst of them. And <laughs> if there's any issue, all you need to do is send out a, 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 a flame from the fire. Just send out one little spark. And that one little spark just so happens to be Yosef. Well, uh... Right here it says, Thus it is written, The house of Jacob will be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, mm. and the house of Lepide. Esau for straw, and they will ignite them and consume them. That's Obadiah one eighteen. 
chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, it is therefore written, here an allusion to the above, Jacob settled. Doesn't Yeshua say, fear not, I have overcome the world? Mm-hmm. And uh, doesn't uh, God say 365 times, don't fear? <laughs> At least 365. Don't fear. <laughs> and then what do we say after we read a Sefer Torah? Chazak. Oh, Chazak. come yeah. on. So he tells us what not to do, and he tells us what to do. Can't be more plain. He knows how dumb we really are. He knows how hard of hearing we really are. Because we forget. Yes. Mm. Uh, so it says here, wow. um, a little later, it says, Thus stated the sages that which Scripture says, these are the offspring of Jacob. Uh, Joseph, wow. uh, verse 2, says, Is to teach that all these other offspring of Jacob became only in the merit of Joseph and for his sake. Hold up. Joseph was like the 11th born in the row here. Mm. Well, so the uh, 10... Only came because of Joseph? <laughs> well, King David wasn't the first one either. That's a good point, too. <laughs> like, the first shall be last and the last, last shall be first? first. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with you? <sighs> don't, fire don't, don't blame He's it on, on I'm just fire. reading, no. Like, like fire on what fire? It's <laughs> on fire. <laughs> it's getting that wet. It's on fire. <laughs> um, of course, the insights on just what I read—it's—it it, uh, really gets pretty violent. So, y'all want me to? Well, I, w- I would like to tag this in real quick because oh, yeah. I finally found what I was looking for. Um, so we should do that. Okay. So it's actually in verse three where Rashi talks about what Joseph had inside of him, and it—it it says this is also in uh, Bereshit Rabbah eighty-four. Uh, eight, and the recording just shut down again. Boy, we're killing it today. Rip shim. All right, so it says he was called Ben Zekunim, which is the son of his old age, because he was a wise son to him. So the wisdom. Okay. And it says all he had learned from Shem and Ever, he taught to Joseph. Another is his facial features, which is the explanation that uh, he was similar to, uh, to, to Jacob. So Joseph was similar to Jacob. And it says this coat that he gave him was another thing that Joseph had inside of him. So when he put this coat on him, it imprinted on his soul. And it says that uh, this is found in Shabbat 10b about this coat. And it says it's a fine linen and blue, which is what actually the priestly garments were. Right. And it says this is the same garment mentioned in 2 Samuel 13, 18, in the story of Amnon and Tamar. And we may gather that it was made of very fine material. There is a Midrashic statement that we may find an allusion to uh, Pasim in the words of his misfortunes. Soul to Potiphar and to the merchants and to the Midianites and to the Ishmaelites. So this wisdom and then the outer garments over that wisdom is what Yosef possessed that gave him this like superpower to get through all that stuff. That's amazing. Okay, insights? 
All right, so check it out. So uh, what I just read, and I just read the the end of it. Um, so the offspring of uh, Jacob came only in the merit of Joseph. So this begins the insight with in the merit of Joseph. And Bishem Yeshua, because mm. <laughs> that's what that means. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we're always talking about Mashiach Ben Yosef. Why is this title so important? Why? Because Yosef is so important. And you know he's the he's called the hidden one, which is Afanat Paneach, the name oh, he was given. One who reveals hidden things, yes. And why the name of Yeshua is hidden in Jesus. Oh, gosh. Let's knock that off now. All right, so there's a lot here. He's like, can I finish? <laughs> Can I even start? Yeah, okay. Is, the answer is no, you may not. <laughs> Go yeah, ahead. I want you to finish, but you know how uh, a lot of people say Yeshu? Yeah. Right? Yeshu, Yeshu, but they don't say Yeshua. Uh -huh. And of course, the, the letter that they're leaving off is the Ain. With the Ain yeah. is the I. Yes. See? They can't see him because he's in because they keep calling him Yeshu. But as soon as they get the eye to see Yeshua, they will see salvation. Hey, brother, you see that door? <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole new meaning to those who have eyes to see. The eye and Yeshua. Y'all keep going. Dude. Okay, so in the merit of Yosef. Our Midrash places Yosef in a unique position in the structure of the Jewish people. He is not quite a patriarch, but he is something more than one of the 12 tribes. Mm, more. In, oh, I know, yeah. Uh, in a moving discourse, Rabbi Yitzhak Hunter, and this is in uh, uh, brackets here, Pachad, like what we were just talking about for uh, Pachard, the Punisher, uh, Pachad Yitzhak uh, Kuntres, uh, Kuntres uh, Yarach HaAsanim, section 12, discusses the embryonic development of the Jewish people and Joseph's place within it. On one hand, the sages teach us that there are only three whom we call the Avos, the patriarchs, Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Uh, that's uh, Berachos 16b. On the other hand, all of Israel are considered the children of Rachel. And this is uh, through Yosef. And you can reference that in Midrash uh, 82, section 10. Uh, Yosef represents an intermediate level between tribe and patriarch. And a question, how are we to understand this? In other discourses, Rav Hunter discusses the place of each of the Avos in the formation of the Jewish nation. Avraham was the first person to become a Jew. Yitzhak was the first was the first born Jew and holy from birth and circumcised on the eighth day. On the eighth day, Hanukkah. Uh, Yaakov was the first... Whoa, whoa, who's on the eighth day? Uh, Isaac was the first born Jew. Uh, holy from birth and circumcised on the eighth day. Okay. So, uh, Jacob, or Yaakov, was the first 
uh, irrevocable Jew, uh, no descendant of Yaakov born from the born from a Jewish mother can remove from himself the designation Jew, and that is an insight uh, seventy eight three. A change of name uh, from the moment what? that a change of name a change of name from the moment that Jewishness was made permanent for all generations, mm. the era of the mm. patriarchs ended, and the era of their descendants began. Wow. Okay. Uh, but there was one vulnerability left. If a Jewish man has a child from a non-Jewish woman, that child is not Jewish. Although no type of transgression or rebellion could remove one's sanctity as a Jew, intermarriage could remove this sanctity from his progeny. And here lies Joseph's contribution to the Jewish people. Joseph stood strong against passion and refused to submit to Potiphar's wife. Because um, can't no Jews be born from her. True that. Right. So um, what does that say about those of us who were born of Yeshua? Even right. more. Yeah. Uh, so um, he... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he disinclined the Jewish nation or the Jewish national character away from this sin to an extent sufficient to preserve Jewish sanctity throughout the generations. For thousands of years, some succumbed to the allure of intermarriage, but most did not. The preservation of Jewish sanctity of our very own Jewishness was Joseph's doing. Uh, I still got a lot so wait, our our holiness, our sanctity, set apartness, is preserved in oh, Yosef. The gift that keeps on giving. B'shem Yeshua. Oh, so when we're saying B'shem Yeshua, we're preserving ourselves. Uh, you know that actually just kind of adds more fire to what uh, what y'all were talking about just a little bit ago uh, about uh, Yosef. Yeah, having the ability to thrive. Mm-hmm. So every time, you know, B'Shem Yeshua, you know, we're, we're just... We're Chazak. Yeah. We're remembering to thrive. So, forever. Wow. Because it's a, a, what, everlasting, what is a everlasting contribution? Uh, contribution. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, so, okay. My face is going to melt off. <laughs> I was thinking Parnasav. Uh, uh-huh. Parnasav, like an everlasting Parnasav. Um, How the bread kept coming, the oil yeah. kept flowing, everlasting and, provision. And Joseph is continually, is that picture. I yeah. mean, I don't know how much grain he had, but it never <laughs> ran out, no matter who came. Dude, yeah. They, gave, they said they gave up all their money. Yeah. So he had all the money in the world. That's a, And still I, had grain to give out. Still giving it out. <laughs> Oh, this guy was giving. This guy was giving. Like like Rabbi says, we are out of time, but not out, of, out content. of content. <laughs> He's a giving one, I shall say. He's a giving one, that man. Mm. All right. Man, so that's why he's I'm Captain gonna, Israel. I'm going to keep making this a little violent. He can do this all day. All right. So uh, for this reason, the verse... 
describes Jacob as a fire and Joseph as a flame. Just as a flame ex, uh, extends a fire, so to Joseph extends Jacob. Jacob is a fire that burns in its place. Once a Jew comes into existence, it is impossible for his sacred fire of Jewishness to be extinguished. Mm, ponder that. Uh, Can you repeat that phrase? Uh, oh, yeah. I'll, I'll go from the beginning. Uh, so, uh, for this reason, the verse describes Jacob as a fire and Joseph as a flame. Just as a flame extends a fire, so too Joseph extends Jacob. Jacob oh. is a fire that burns in its place. Wait, Once wait. Say la for a second. Mm -hmm. Because what we're saying is the Redeemer's going to perpetuate Judaism and Torah. I.e., for us to be followers of the Messiah, we have to be followers of the Torah. Mm -hmm. We become Jews because he perpetuates Judaism. Lapid. Something else. When you have a flame from a fire, what's the di is there a difference between that flame and a fire? Is that flame in the fire one? Oh, because the flame isn't going to build like coal or like some other foreign substance. Well, uh, you know that. Wow, uh, that's that's a loaded statement there. You um, take that one flame away from the fire, it still thrives. Yeah. And it's still the same. And it's going to put more essence. fire on whatever else it touches. It's the same essence. And you put it back. I go back to my father. And it's just, it's one echad. So I don't know what Torah is yeah. fire and water. So it's like you take fire from fire, you still have fire. Mm -hmm. And oh, water, you ocean, take water from me. You take water. <laughs> my water. <laughs> so if you take water from water, you still have water. Yes. And you can still oh, put yes. that water back where you got it from. And so. it's the same. Yeah. So uh, fire and yeah, water. Yeah, you take a cup of water from a ocean and you take it over. It's the same exact as it over there. So when you take it back to the ocean, you pour it back in, it's still a chai. Mm -hmm. It's the same. So you got fire and water being likened to the black fire on the white fire. Like the Torah, the, the two fires. Mm -hmm. The letters in the space. In the space, yeah. Ooh. So my whole thing with that is, if you take a piece of Hashem, uh -huh. His Word, and you wrap it up in a ball of flesh, yeah, it's still the same Hashem. And when it goes back ah. to the Beit Hamikdash, it's still Hashem. Mm. I'm gonna beat you with this Hanukkah. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. Great knowing you, man. <laughs> <laughs> I had a good time, y'all. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Goodness. So, all right. So I'm going to keep adding to this. Uh, this is going to be fun. Please do. Uh, once a, so I'm going to so repeat what I just said a minute ago. Uh, once a Jew comes into existence, it is impossible for his sacred fire of Jewishness to be extinguished. Mm. Mm, because uh, uh, Hashem is uh, everlasting consuming fire uh, oh. I'm gonna just leave that one there Joseph is the flame that allows the fire to reach far away example to later descendants until the end of time that they too should be Jewish Joseph was the completion of Jacob's mission 
Oh, it is finished? Ooh. Oh, wow. What? We are, uh, I think every Jew since then and, you know, past us is uh, the completion of his mission. Oh, okay. That's ridiculous. So, uh, check it out. So, accordingly, the Midrash (laughs) teaches that Joseph uh, is the nemesis of Esau. Mm -hmm. Ooh, that's a, or Esau is the nemesis of of, uh, Joseph. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I kind of like the way they have it here. Joseph is the nemesis of Esau. Yeah. We are the nemesis of yeah. anti-Semitism. Yes, we are. Uh, so although uh, it is Jacob and Esau who have the seesaw relationship, when one rises, the other falls. Mm. Uh, Megillah 6a. Wow. I want to actually read that that again. Yeah. Uh, when one rises, the other falls. So uh, we're always rising. I mean, like bread. Maybe so. Like bread. Like bread. Like grain. Uh, it is Joseph who secures Jacob's position in the confrontation with Esau. What? Secures the position? It is Joseph who Joseph secures who secures security. Jacob's position. Mm. Confrontation with Esau. Joseph seals the uh, the hink uh, in uh, Jacob's armor before Esau. Mm. All right. Um, this also explains the connection between the splitting of the sea and Joseph. Oh, this is gonna be good. The sages <laughs> teach. <laughs> The Joseph sages, is connected to the splitting of the sea. Yeah. Okay. Tear me apart. See, the sages teach us that the splitting of the sea was programmed into creation. The entire Stop creation. Stop it. Yeah. Stop it. Programmed. It's a miracle, creation. but it's also predestined. Programmed into creation. Oh. That's that's right. crazy. So that means there had to be a certain point that Israel had to make it to the seashore. Because the water was going to part. Mm-hmm. So there's like this whole understanding. The redemption is going to end at some point, but no man knows the time or the hour. But it will be a miraculous bringing us there. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, oh, so, my goodness. So, um, so the sages teach us that the splitting of the sea was programmed into creation. The entire creation was conditioned on there being a splitting of the sea. Mm. You can see that in Bereshit Rabbah 5, section 5. Wow. Um, Wow. It would occur at the moment that was critical for the uh, preservation of the Jewish people because their preservation, preservation is also an absolute condition of creation. Mm. So you can't get you can't get rid of us, right? We're That's... being the <laughs> Jews being preserved is a like a prerequisite for creation to be mm-hmm. brought forward. So mm-hmm. in other words, unless there's going to be Jewish people, then there is no reason for creation. Mm. Um. So uh, wow. the Hebrew here, because you, you can read it faster than me, I'll probably have you translate this. Um. Where was I? Uh, well, let me just creation. Yeah, um, so yeah, um, it will it will occur at the moment that it would 
occur at the moment that was critical for the preservation of the Jewish people because their preservation is also an absolute condition of creation. The first word of the story of creation wow. uh, is interpreted to mean... Slicha. Um, well, uh, on the account of the Jews uh, who are called the first. Okay. Um, when the Jews stood at the sea with the Egyptians behind them, uh, with no escape possible, a merit was needed to implement God's original plan at this point. Uh, at that juncture, no good deed was would suffice other than one that provided for the preservation of the Jewish people. Mm. This is why the sea split in the merit of Joseph. Mm. As the Midrash states elsewhere uh, as well, the sea saw the <laughs> seesaw. The sea saw and <laughs> fled. Oh wow. Uh, what did it see? It saw Joseph's coffin. Mm. Wow. Uh, that's Midrash Tehidim, uh section 114. Uh, and you can see also note 55. That's I'm going to read in a minute. Uh, it was <laughs> Joseph's heroic act of self-control that provided for the preservation of Jewishness in all generations. And thus it was Joseph's merit that provided for the most miraculous physical preservation of the Jewish people in all of history. And that's uh, Pachad, the Punisher, Yitzhak, uh, Contras Yerech HaAsanim, Section 12. There's your name, Pachad. Uh, okay, so in, now note 55. Um, it's split in the merit of Joseph's bones which the children of Israel were carrying with them. Eretz Israel from 87, section 8. And I just read that. So, uh, because Joseph transcended his natural impulses and fled from Potiphar's wife, the water transcended its natural state and fled from before Joseph. Mm. Mm -mm -mm. That just tells you that one man can make a difference. And it tells you that every decision that you make is important. You never know what decision that you do now to live a holy lifestyle will make in the future. I mean, right. we could just talk about the kids in itself. Well, it's right? kind of like also, you know, what God has, you know, ordained for punishment against us. Teshuvah, our Teshuvah will... Uh, uh, cause that decree to flee from before us. In our enemies. Wow. Uh -huh. Wow. Like Hanukkah. Yeah. Mm, that was a lot of reading. Can you go to 84.8? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and one thing I keep on thinking about when it talks, it's talking about how great Yosef is. <laughs> And all the remarkable things that was done in his merit. Uh, and and if we were like Jews uh, 2,400 years ago, we would look forward to the Mashiach who would be like unto Yosef, but even more. So the more we lift up Yosef, 
the higher we lift up Mashiach. If we say, okay, it's Yosef's bones, it's his merit, it's his greatness that split the Red Sea, how much more will Mashiach split or do miraculous things? Yeah. Because remember, the word for bones is also the word for essence. Essence. Edzem and atzmut. And what does he like, say? Those are the play on words. The things I do, you will do. You will do even greater. Greater. The Yosef more we lift up Yosef, the more we lift up Mashiach. Yeah. The more we lift him up, the greater he can do with us. He's so giving, so giving. Goodness. Okay, so here's that revive like grain drop I was thinking about. This is uh, found in Devarim Sifre, Rabbah, uh, and it says this. It says, uh, Hosea 9, 14. Give them, O Adonai, what you will give. Give them a bereaving womb and shriveled breast. And then he reverted to the words of consolation. So there's this idea of like a something very horrible, just like, wow, like lots of death, lots of destruction. And then the consolation to follow is found in chapter 14, 7 through 8, which says this, his tender branches will go forth and his glory will be like the olive tree. Back to Hanukkah. Mm. Those who dwell in his shade will return, i.e. in the shadow of things to come. So it says, so those who dwell in that shade will return. It says, they will revive like grain mm. and blossom like the vine. Because mm. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Also, uh, Yosef's uh, uh, wine. Yes. Yes. Okay. So it says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. That's in, in chapter 14, 5 through 6. And it says, I will love them freely. I will be like the dew to Israel. It will blossom like a rose. So this whole picture here, talking about how we're the bread and we're like the grain and we blossom up and grow into bread and all that kind of stuff. Like that's a whole thing about the teshuva, the whole thing about the converts coming in. And 20, the episode that there are no listeners on, it just goes on forever. It's been 22 minutes of that. <laughs> but there's a light going out to those who want to see it. Oh, they'll get theirs. Probably while they're not driving. Yeah. if they want to have a wreck. Right. Yeah, so that was Seafray uh, Devarium 342.2. Go ahead, what you got? No, I think that's what I was, I, I just now find. As the days of heavens upon the earth, the face of righteousness will then shine. Mm. That's what you just read? No, I didn't read that. Seafray Devarium. As the days of the heavens are upon the earth, the face of the, uh, I think that. That's probably at the beginning of it. And his beauty will be as that of the olive tree. Okay, I guess. Yeah, there it is. Yep, there it is. That's. Are you reading Hosea or the Sifri? Yeah, I'm the the Midrash from Sifri Devarim. Okay, cool. As the days of the heavens upon the earth, the faces of the righteous will then shine as the day, the sun. 
And thus it is written in Judges 5.31, And his lovers like the sun emerging in its strength. And in Psalm 16.11, With the seven joys your face, with the seven joys the faces of the righteous are des de say, destined to receive the face of the Shekhinah in the world to come. His lovers like the sun, Emerging in its strength, Psalms of Psalm 610, Fair as the moon, Daniels 12.3, And the wise ones will shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn the many to righteous, they that turn the many to righteous will shine as the stars forever, Nacham uh, 2.4, And like lightning shall they run, Psalms 45.1, to the chief musicians upon Shoshanim, the righteous whose faces are like Shoshanim, lilies. Hoshea and the beauty will be as that of the olive tree. So tag, so that's likening. So when we look upon the sun, like Yeshua, right? He, his light shines upon us and his light shines on our faces. So like in Corinthians, Paul talks about the fact that there's a veil that covers the face of those who haven't received that light when they look at the law. But for those of us who have received the light, the veil is taken away and our faces shine like Moshe's face because his face was shining because he was in the presence of Hashem when he went up the mountain into heaven for the 40 days. So we look at this picture here about how our faces shine now you got to connect that to the way that the moon shines now. It used to, when it was first created, shine with the same brightness as the sun. But remember that midrash that the moon complained, there can't be two great lights. One has to be greater than the other. So Hashem told the moon, okay, fine, you diminish yourself. And that's why the moon has to renew itself every 30 days, hence the Rosh Hodesh, the new moon. And it says, but in the future, the moon is going to shine like the sun. Wow. But then in the future, the sun is going to shine seven times brighter. Mm. So same thing with our faces. Right now, our faces can shine with the light of Mashiach. But in the future to come, we're going to shine with the very presence of God himself which is the light that's going to flood the whole entire world with the final redemption, which is why it says the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters fill the seas. Every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess because that's going to be the end of exile where there's no more ability to deny Hashem's rulership and his kingship. Like the ayin will be restored to Yeshua. The exiles will be brought home. The temple will be rebuilt. The light of the world is going to shine forth for all to see that uh, idolatry, uh, false uh, worship, and all of that is nothing in the face of God. Just like now, if we took a flashlight outside during the daylight, you can't see that flashlight. But that flashlight is not a true light. It's an essence of the true light. And when you need that flashlight, it's going to give you some light. But if you want some real light, you know... So you're looking at this whole like gradual increase uh, process, which is what you just read, like even with our faces. So like what we do now when we receive the light of God's word is we set ourselves up for an even greater light in time to come.
So that's Seafree, huh? Little Oral Torah drops here. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had that commentary on the uh, Revive Like Grain. Spoon Radio just keeps shutting down, man. I can't handle it. I was gonna say that in all like different, different uh, episodes. You know, uh, after it shuts down again, because I know it will, uh, I'm gonna see what where it's putting them. Because <clears throat> I know there's an opportunity for you to save it uh, after you do a live podcast, but mm. it's not showing that because it's just shutting down. So I don't know what's gonna happen. But Brukashim, um, revive like grain. I know that is somewhere. Like I have commentary on that. Oh, you got your uh, eighty-four eight pulled up? Uh, uh, yes. May I read it? Oh yeah. That's Alright, Midrash Rabbah 84.8. Now Yisrael loved Yosef. May that be so. Yes. <laughs> Soon in our times. Okay, so it says, More than all of his sons since he was a child of his old age. While the word old age can be fairly translated, it says the timing of Yosef's birth cannot be the reason Yaakov loved him more than the other sons. The Midrash, therefore, expounds the word differently. Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Nehemiah offered different explanations of the word for old age. Rabbi Yehuda said, Yosef's facial facial features resembled that of Yaakov. Just just to make sure we got this on recording. I love the idea of if you've seen the son, you've seen the father. Because like when we're talking about the Yaakov Yosef relationship, the Mashiach and Hashem relationship, it's it's likened to seeing the son who is in the image of the father. So that way when you do see the son, you do see the father. Just if you've seen the flame, you've seen the fire. <sighs> yep. Or that. <laughs> there is that. Okay, so. It says, Rabbi Nehemiah said, I want to read this footnote. So, footnote 101 here. For two reasons. All the children were born in Yaakov's old age. (laughs) How can Yosef be called son of his old age when all the sons were the son of his old age? (laughs) I love that. He was already 84 when he married Leah and Rachel. Oh, wow. Indeed. Issachar and Zebulun were born a year or two older than Joseph. Joseph was not even the youngest son because Benjamin came afterwards. Right. When Yaakov was more advanced in age. Right. <laughs> I just love thinking about that because Yeshua existed before creation, but yet he was born. And it's just like, okay, so 
after the garden and after the giving of the Torah and after the building of the temple, after, you know, he's born of Miriam and Yosef. So it, 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 that little point doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. He's just called the son of his old age. <laughs> That's a good point. Okay, so that, that was the end of the footnote. That's a violent way to finish. Yefe To'ar. Okay. Rabbi Nechemia said that all the laws that Shem and Eber transmitted to Yaakov were now transmitted to Joseph. Joseph spent, or Jacob, spent 14 years in the academy of Shem and Eber and all acknowledged or and all the knowledge and wisdom he acquired, he passed to Joseph. Since Joseph absorbed, because the, the flame absorbs from the fire, right? To go out and light others, yeah. So he absorbed it and taught, uh, absorbed that all Yaakov taught him. Yaakov perceived that his, that his son's powers of reasoning and understanding were exceedingly great. He should be called Everlasting Father, Almighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. So he has these uh, amazing powers of reasoning and understanding. Thus, Yaakov's love for Joseph was more than a paternal instinct. It was an intellectual attachment which, by the way, is known as Da'at. Da'at. So there's Chokma, Bina, and when you put those two together, uh, wisdom and understanding, put them together, it equals Da'at, which is knowledge. Wow. And that's all tied to the intellect. That's all tied to the sun. Uh, that's all tied to the Torah, because the Torah is called Aish Da'at. So it says that uh, fire knowledge says, Rabbi Nechemia thus understands old age as an acronym for Zay, which is this one, Konim, acquired wisdom. So, son of his old age is an acronym for this one, acquired wisdom. Wow. End of that page. The tunic he made for him... And that's it. Wow. That was incredible. Oh, there's an Azariah drop here. Why not? Let's do it. Okay, so it says, He made for him a fine woolen tunic. The Midrash derives an ethical lesson from Jacob's actions and their terrible consequences. Reish uh, Lakish said in the name of Rabbi Eliezer ben Azariah. <laughs> Okay, so the son of Azariah, who's Rabbi Eliezer, said, Every person must not treat one son differently from his other sons. For on the account of the fine woolen tunic of our forefather Yaakov made for Yosef, his brothers saw that it was he whom their father loved most of all, so they hated him. Says uh, this verse comes to teach that it was Yaakov's preferential treatment of Joseph, exemplified by the gift of the fine woolen tunic that caused the brothers to hate him. 
This animosity in turn set in motion the terrible events that led to the Egyptian exile, noted in Shabbat 10b. On account of two Selim's weight of fine wool that Yaakov gave Yosef in excess of what he gave to his other sons, his brothers came became jealous of him, and the matter evolved until our forefathers descended to Mitzrayim. So due to this garment, the brothers became jealous, which led to the exile. So when we talk about the whole what destroyed the, the second temple and led us into this current exile that we're in, it's basic all hatred. Huh? Which is basic hatred. Yeah, baseless, baseless hatred. hatred. Yeah. So what caused the baseless hatred that led us to where we are today? Mm. Because just like the it says here in this footnote, it says the matter evolved until our forefathers descended to Egypt. So the exile began with that hatred, but then it continually evolved until it got to the lowest of low. And one of the one of the things we've been talking about at Lapid is gathering in the divine sparks and having baseless love and uh, inspiring people in Torah and, and making converts. So there's something in the process of making converts that is the antithesis of the baseless hatred. That is the antithesis of the jealousness and the hatred that the that was spurred on for the brothers like in other words what caused the brothers hatred making converts is the undoing of that the antidote the antidote and we know Hashem provides the antidote before the disease which is why Matthew 28 is the thing that we should key in on where Yeshua says I'm sending you out you know to the world go make disciples Kind of like Joseph was sent out to the world, Egypt. Ooh. Yeah, and he made disciples. Sure did. You you want grain? You want living bread? You got to be circumcised. You got to convert. It's like, like Abraham. Yeah. Hmm. He was sent out. You can uh, praise God, or you can pay for it. <laughs> wow. So. Abraham had stored grain, really? <laughs> This guy, you you go off the balcony. You don't get to go out through the door. Oh, there's not enough water down there. Goodness. Well, in your movie, you did jump out of a moving plane. So <laughs> that was such a funny scene to me. <laughs> Just like, Not have here. you seen the Aquaman movie? Yeah, yeah. Where uh, the girl, she jumps out of the plane. Okay. He's like, redheads, gotta love them. And he jumps out of the plane. <laughs> okay, yeah. That was a funny scene. That. It's been a while. I only seen it once. Mm -hmm. That Dude, was an epic movie. It was. It had two of his nemesis in it. It had a... Uh, yeah. Yeah. The Mantis guy? Yeah. Dude, that guy was angry. <laughs> Oh my gosh. He's like cold. He's like cold blooded. He was, dude. He didn't care. Oh, we got a little vine backdrop. 
Shouts out to the backdrops on Spooncast Radio. Tinfoil Hat, welcome back. I love that name, by the way. That's legit. <laughs> Sometimes at Lapee, we joke about having the tinfoil hat. <laughs> it's beautiful. Growing up, I had to put tinfoil on the antenna to catch any stations, catch a signal. <laughs> you actually have tinfoil hats? I love it. That's legit. <laughs> Wow. Is it a... We'll vicariously live through you for that. <laughs> is it a tinfoil fedora hat? That's what I want to know. I might be interested. <laughs> is it a fedora hat? That's that's the question. <laughs> Don't say it's a cone hat. You know what I mean? Cone hat. Nah, pass. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> I'm so curious. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, where shall we go from here? Oh, uh, we go back to uh, back to the torque. <laughs> I think with verse four, but Benjamin, we haven't even talked about Benjamin. Let's get it, man. Let's talk about it. Okay, you want me to read? Hang on, he says, I put it over a hat and removed the tin foil off of it. So does that mean it's a ten-gallon cowboy hat? What, what hat? Is it he, a baseball cap? Is it what? What kind of has a baseball hat or like any a, that you want? Cowboy hat. You got a picture of it? <laughs> I don't know if this thing lets you post pictures, but that'd be really cool. Oh, did you see anything in the mid Um, well, not as good as. What's in the midrash? Okay. I'm going to switch to Ankylos then. Oh, oh there's the song or baseball cap. Okay, okay. Hey, a tinfoil hat, we'll, we'll take it. <laughs> I don't have a hat. Well, actually, I would. I do have a hat preference. I like the beanies, but, you know, that's cool. Uh, I wonder what a beanie tinfoil hat would be like. That'd be interesting. All right, so you want to go ahead with verse 4? Yes, okay. Verse 4, uh, this is Mekitz, Parashat Mekitz, Bereshit 42. Genesis four. 42. But Benjamin, Yosef's brother, Yaakov, did not sin along with his brothers, for he said, least disaster befall him. So the sons of Israel came to buy provision among the arrivals. For the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Yosef, he was the viceroy over the land. He was the provider to all the people of the land. Yosef's brother came and they bowed to him, mm. faces to the ground. Does this sound like the fulfillment of a prophecy or a dream or something? So Joseph had a dream. That the brothers would bow to him. Genesis 37. Was it every knee should bow? And were they confessing? Were they, they confessing anything here? Mm. It sounds familiar too. Wow. Now what's the difference? Okay, so this may be a silly question. But is there a difference uh, between a viceroy and a prime minister? Are they equal? Well, the prime minister is the main guy, right? 
Okay, so there's a difference. Yeah, because your your viceroy is your second in charge. Your prime minister would be the main guy. Okay. Let's look up a uh, prime minister just to be sure, because you know we don't want to make stuff up. For some up. reason, I think of Yosef <clears throat> as the prime minister. He's the. It says he's the head of the cabinet and the leader of the ministers in the executive branch of government, often in a parliamentary or semi-presidential system. So yeah, so your prime minister is basically like the, the main guy, okay. and your viceroy is the second, like the right-hand man of the main guy. Okay. So what were you thinking with that? Uh, just the way Israel's set up is with the prime minister and... Oh, Joseph. and you're looking at the Joseph thing. Yeah. Yeah. Prime Minister of Israel. Okay. Well, this is going to be like a, a sowed kind of uh, interpretation of that, like a more mystical, uh, esoteric thought would be, you know, you have your head, which is Joseph, you know, like, again, paralleling and connecting that to Yeshua being the head of the con congregation but who's above the head? It's Hashem. Because the only difference between Yosef and Pharaoh was the throne. So if we look at this picture of the viceroy and the prime minister, so if you shift that up a notch to where the viceroy is, is likened to the prime minister, well, you have the picture of what's above what we can physically see would be Hashem. So if we call Yosef the prime minister, what's above the prime minister, you know, in our a little analogy. So that would say that, you know, all things were given to the son by the father, but the father is not subject to the son, which actually Paul brings that down in one of his letters that uh, God gave all things to Yeshua, but he did not subject himself to Yeshua. Again, so the only thing that separates Yeshua from Hashem is the throne, basically. Interesting. So, kind of a long analogy, but yeah, to go with your thought there. Verse 7, Yosef saw his brothers, and he recognized them, but he acted like a stranger toward them and spoke with them harshly. He asked them, from where do you come? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Yosef recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Wow. There's a, a insight. I don't know if I can find it. I'm going to try to. But it says that uh, the whole thing about the Messiah is he's, he's not supposed to be recognized uh, by his brothers. And that uh, it is all this this ploy or this... this uh, this kind of like false game, if you will, kind of like our dreidel. Dreidel, I mean, it's it's a game, but it's not really. It's just kind of like we're gambling. It's like, no, we're not really gambling. We're covering up that we're studying for Torah. Same thing with the Messiah ben Yosef. He's supposed to have this front of he's not Jewish. He's uh, He's got this look to him that like there's no way he can be you know messiah there's he's no, an edomite he's an edomite you know this whole picture but it's so that the nations can be brought in i.e like it says in romans 11 that because of the rejection of the jews 
the, the Jews rejecting the Messiah, that the nations now have the opportunity to receive him because when the Jews do accept the Messiah, and they will, that's going to be it. You know, because after that, it's going to result in the resurrection, which we know is one of the final, uh, par the parts of the final redemption. So, the fact that there's lots of rejection of Mashiach is is good for those who want to come into faith. They're given an the opportunity. Of course, nothing's new in the New Testament. We see here in Yosef, him making converts, him making disciples mm. out of all kinds of nations. Everybody who was hungry came to Yosef, and they either paid the price and lived, or they died in their sin. Wow. Okay. Anything else? Uh, if I can, here it is. Okay. Well, blessed be the name of Hashem. Where is this coming from? This is commentary on uh, Parsha Told Dote. So we're going all the way back there. And this is uh, cited by a gentleman over in India who goes by the name of Gadai. I call him G. Shekel. He says in the commentary on Genesis 25, 26, talking about Esau's heel was called Jacob. Because he uh, catches by the heel, he supplants. So examine the last letter in Yeshua. And the Hebrew is the letter Ayin. And this is the initial letter of the name of Esau, as in Esau's heel. So if the heel of Esau is taken away from Yeshua, we have Yeshu. His hand held the heel of Esau, and his name was called Jacob. Yaakov. So here we have the acronym of Yeshua going from right to left. Yeshua is stretched between Yaakov and Esau. The Ayin in Yeshua's name falls on the first letter of Esau. Esau. It is clear that our Lord came from the tribe of Judah, which is Hebrews 7.14. Yeshua was a son of Israel, a Jew from the tribe of Judah, but the Gentiles hold him by his ayin. Mm. This is the reason that in some of the s or some of the sects, he is known as Yeshu, which, by the way, Jesus can be another way to say that because they took off the ending of Yeshua and gave it this Greek overlay. It says he has been exiled to the tradition of the religion of Esau, which is to the nations of the world, and the numerical value of the letter Ayin is 70, which alludes to the 70 nations of the world. Yeshua's soul is in boiling filth because it has fallen into the klipa of the nations, the covering and the shrouding, the concealment of the nations. And this is done in order to elevate their sparks and correct them. That's why he's not properly recognized by his brothers. And it says, and the value of Esau is 376 in Gematria, which equals the vessel of Yeshu, which is the same Gematria as Esau. So the vessel of the concealment, the vessel of not being recognized is the Gematria of Esau, which represents the nations of the world. So this whole process of concealing the Messiah, hiding him, him not having an identity that's recognizable is to elevate the sparks. 
So Joseph in Egypt being concealed and not recognized by his brothers is to bring in the Egyptians. Because if they knew he was Jewish, they wouldn't. Because what does it tell us that uh, in, later on when it talks about them eating? That it says the, the Egyptians didn't want to eat with the Hebrews. Right. It's like, we can't stand you guys. You guys eat goat. That's our God. Yeah. Yeah. But if you walk like an Egyptian, to borrow from that song, <laughs> then yeah, we, it's cool. We could dance. So if it wasn't for Yeshua being hidden in the church, mm. how could people get immersed? How could people get circumcised? How could people get a hold of the Torah? Even though they're getting a hold of the written Torah. But what do we know? There's nothing new in the New Testament, right? So the oral Torah hidden in the New Testament. That's why a lot of these things that we're finding in the Midrash are there. So it's like the nations can get it. So now when when the nations come in the Torah, they start studying Torah. And they're like, oh, yeah, I remember this. Yeshua said, if, if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. Starts clicking. Wow. It's well, not Christians, something when far foreign. It's something that they've heard. Something that's kind of natural to them. Well, from, when the yeah. Christians, you know, when that finally clicks for them, they won't be Christian anymore. Ooh. It's not going to Christian have a Jewish God. Ooh. That doesn't make no sense. Right, because they're from Rome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like I thought this was the Vatican. No, it's Jerusalem. <laughs> Dude, this is the most amazing tour study I've ever had. <laughs> By the way, that's ever gone down at this table. Just want to tell you that. Should I continue reading? Yes. Okay. You're supposed to say, can I finish? Yeah, can I finish it? It's got like, uh, I'm only on verse 7 now. Can you be more creative? I don't know. Okay, 7. He also saw his brothers, and he recognized them, but he acted like a stranger towards them and spoke with them harshly. I may have read this. He asked them, from where do you come? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. He also recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. It says it twice. Interesting. He also recalled oh, the dream. Okay. Can we stop for a second? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> go, to, go back to the first time it says they didn't recognize. Okay. We should look at what's between those passages. Where's my... Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them, but he acted like a stranger towards them and spoke with them harshly. He asked them, from where do you come? And they said, from the line of Canaan to buy food. Yosef recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Okay, so seven and eight, right? Yeah. All right, so there's a, a study concept called a chiasm or, or chasm or one of those two words. Rabbi Foreman uses this uh, when you see two bookends of phrases or words that uh, it's what's in the middle that will help you interpret. Shalom again. Oh, that's great. 
Do we want anything from the kosher time though? Soup gunny oat, if they have it. Oh, yeah. Let's get down on some of that. Come on! <laughs> Alright. You are the Toda. Shalom. <laughs> Do All we right. want anything from the kosher tom tom? Something to eat, maybe? <laughs> Some kosher. Bring it. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> what kind of question is that? All this study makes us hungry. Dude. Okay, so. Okay, so, so this method. Yeah, so you, you book in. You have a sandwich. You have a sandwich. Yeah, so now. what's okay, the meat ahead. there? Yes. So let's look in between these words. Okay, so Yosef saw his brothers and he recognized them. Okay. Okay, and then it says, but they didn't recognize him. So Yosef recognized his brothers. Yosef rec Yosef saw his brothers. Okay, so he spoke with them harshly. Okay, so he got harsh speech. He asked them where you come from. Okay. And they said from the line of Canaan to buy food. All right. Harsh speech. Uh, question of uh, who was they? Yeah. What their motives? Question motors question of residence. Like yeah. where do you, where you live? Where do you live? And then what's your mission? So I think it's interesting that there's this whole question that we get asked all the time. So you're Jewish. Is your mother Jewish? It's like, well, I'm a convert. It's like, uh, eh, well, you're not Jewish. But then you have to go the next step though, but what's my mission? Because I know I'm Jewish. You may not think or know that I'm Jewish, but that doesn't matter because it's between me and Hashem. You get the opportunity to take part in that, but if you don't want to, that's fine. But what's my mission? To take the Torah to the nations. So in this whole point of when the redemption, when the exile started to the final redemption, Mashiach Yeshua is not recognized. And he won't be recognized until the final redemption. So in between time, there's going to be harsh speech, a question of where you're from, a question of your lineage, oh, wow. and a question to your mission. Yeah. And we have to be ready for that. And we have to stand firm in that. Because the brothers, they stood firm against Yosef. They were like, yeah, yeah, we're here to buy grain. He's like, no, nah, y'all are spies. Uh-uh. No, nah, I, ain't, I ain't taking that. Like, no, 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 trust me. We're, we're honest we're people. Honest. It's like, we're oh, lie. really? You're honest, huh? You know, and the beautiful thing about where we get to fit in this, we truly are honest. Like, we're not playing games. Like, what we're doing at Sar Shalom and the Pete Nation, sparking on, like, this is it. Like, this is our life. You know? And the brothers, even though this... Even though they weren't telling the truth, they they pretended the whole time. And for us, we're telling the truth, but yet when we get a, a opposition to that, it's like, okay, well, maybe I'm not. I, mean, I don't know. It's like, okay, if the brothers can stand in their falseness, then how much more so should we be able to stand in our truthfulness? And that's going to be our battle. And that's what always trips people up who leave Sar Shalom. They can't stand. In their own truth. They can't stand in their own where they come from. If we don't understand that we've been born above, our Jewish mother is the Shekinah. Our Jewish mother is the Ruach HaKodesh. Our Jewish mother is the Torah, which is likened to the daughter of Hashem. We're born again by the word. 
you know and if we don't if we don't stand firm in that then we can't stand firm in anything you know i kind of wanted to add something to that uh for like everyone who's converted Mm -hmm. a jewish mother would be the shekinah it would have to be and think about abraham the spirit he who is born of the waters what how does he say born of the water we're gonna what he who's born of the spirit is I see your question, Dino. Uh, we'll get to you just a second, <laughs> if you're still there. Now, let me answer it now. Um, our religion is Judaism, so we're Jews. We keep the Torah. Orthodox. Orthodox Jews. Not reformed. Uh, if you look up the word lapid, you'll be able to find us. Uh, under Rabbi Griffin, uh, Sar Shalom, Lapid Nation, Torah Judaism centered in Messiah Yeshua, you can look at all that. And uh, there's a wonderful broadcast called An Aliyah A Day by Rabbi Mordecai Griffin. That is a get you some for the ages, if you can ever tune into that. Oh, and if I can add, we're the Lapid Judaism with the blue. Oh, yeah, blue logo. Blue logo. There is a Lapid that has a red logo. That's not us. All right, so let's do the Born of the Water drop. Um... No, he says that is that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. John three. Yes. Okay, so uh, let's read the whole context. Three, starting in verse four. It's a conversation Yeshua is having with Nachdemon, which is commonly known as Nicodemus, who is, by the way, codified in the Talmud. And it is a major Pharisee. A major Pharisee. Okay, so which tells us Yeshua is a Pharisee because he went. They they were, who went to whose house? They the Nicodemus. Oh, Nicodemus came to Yeshua. Yeah. Do you think Nick Nicodemus would just go to anybody's house? No. Oh wow! Because this was the whole thing where it was like, well, a, a a practice that was starting to pick up was that Jews don't go to the house of non-Jews. Just like what. Kepha has to be confronted with... Uh, yes. Hashem spoke to Kepha, told him, hey, you need to go with these men. They're going to go to the house of Cornelius. Acts chapter yes. 10. So, we know that Yeshua is a Pharisee because a Pharisee comes to his house and the Pharisees don't go to just anybody's house. Wow. Okay. So, Yeshua tells him in John chapter 3, verse 3, Amen, Amen, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Which, by the way, in Judaism is known as being converted or immersed in a mikvah or circumcised, which is what Joseph did to the Egyptians. Okay, so to tie back to this week's Torah portion, it says in verse 4, So how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asks. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time to be born? Yeshua answered, I may not, may not tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is... Okay, let me let me make this more emphatic for you. So I told you, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So let me reiterate that. So you, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and spirit. Okay, because that's what it means to be born again. And verse 6, flesh is born of flesh, but spirit is born of spirit. 
And what do we know as the Spirit of God is seen in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the Spirit that hovered over the water. What does the commentary say? This is the Spirit of Messiah. This is the throne of Hashem, which we know is the Torah, which is the Word of God. So you have to be born of the Word. You have to be born of the Spirit, born of that which hovers over the waters. And it says... Do not be amazed that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Naktimon asked. Yeshua says, You are Israel's teacher. Because you, you're codified in the Talmud. You're codified in the Old Torah. You're the teacher, man. What are you talking about? You don't understand these things? Verse 11. Truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. And yet you people do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? So when we talk about being true Jews, that this is something that is supernatural. It, it's a physical at some point, but it starts in the spiritual, just like having a circumcised heart and having circumcised flesh. A person who circumcises their flesh, but they don't circumcise their heart. That's not a circumcision. That's a painful process is what that's called, <laughs> you know, but you have to have a, a circumcised heart first. Which all happens spiritually. So yeah, so you just brought down John 3. That's what you were talking about. So would the being born of the Spirit, the idea of being born from the Shekinah? Yeah. Because what is the Shekinah? It's the Spirit of God. Right. And then the Midrash Rabbah at one point talks about the Spirit of God being the Scriptures. That is. That's uncalled for, is that, that's what that is. That's intoxicating. <laughs> so, again, just to reiterate what we just read in verses 7 and 8 of Genesis 42, because that's where we started all this from, <laughs> was that. This picture of the Messiah not being recognized, i.e. he's currently rejected by his brothers, but the nations are given the opportunity to come in, is that we have to stand firm through uh, Lashon Hara, which is harsh speech, because people are going to tell us we're not legitimate, and that's totally fine, because who do we belong to, where do we come from, and if we stay true to that, we stay true to our mission, now we can get beyond what happens where the dreams are going to ultimately be fulfilled because that's the next verse verse 9 Yosef recalled the dreams that he had dreamed about them because what the brothers are going to bow before him mm -hmm. <laughs> every knee will bow and every tongue will confess it's a picture right here it's a picture so anyway that's a study technique and that's Wow, thank you, Hashem, for that insight. But what's interesting is it could be the reversal. 
because it's Yosef speaking harsh to the brothers. Uh huh. And if we look at the Inquisition, we look at uh, things like that, the Holocaust, it looks to appear. Oh, that we're being spoken harsh to. Yes. Wow. That Yosef's speaking harsh to us by saying we're inferior or we don't belong. Right. Because the people who are perpetuating this, they're all agents of Rome. Because mm -hmm. the Crusades, the Inquisition, the Holocaust, they're all of the same father, which is why a lot of the church father doctrine is what Hitler used mm -hmm. in the pogroms. You know, and so it's just really interesting because it's like, Hashem, why would you treat us so harshly? And it's like, well, remember, Yosef spoke to the brothers harshly, but what was that harshness meant to do? I actually have that right here. Oh, come on. Tag in. <laughs> oh, I was snap. waiting for my door to open. Y'all get ready. <laughs> All right, so this is uh, in uh, the Midrash, it says. And uh, Maketso says, Each aspect of Yosef's conduct towards his brothers was calculated to make them suffer for one of their wrongdoings oh. so that their sins would be atoned for in this oh, world. Atonement. Oh, Yosef's oh atonement. yeah. Um, Yosef's actions were not prompted by malice or personal hatred, but rather dictated by consideration for his brothers to exonerate them of guilt. Okay, so the fact that crucify him, crucify him, punch him in the face, spit, in him, spit at him and say, prophesy to you, who hit you? The, 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 all this harshness is going on to bring atonement for all that. So that when Yeshua finally returns, he's recognized that we're going to be free of guilt. Mm. Because who crucified Yeshua? All of us did because we all ate from the tree in the first place. Right. So all of this persecution and all of this harsh troubles and judgments that we go through are atonements for like everybody. Atonement well, for the Jews for selling him out. Atonement for the nations for being the actual one to crucify them, you know, and like, oh my God. Well, it said too that uh, even if we live a sinful life, you know, in Teshuvah, all of those wrongdoings can be turned into merits. Right. Oh. Mm. The filth can be turned into treasure. Uh-huh. It's amazing. But see, it gets pretty, pretty, uh, pretty crazy right here when it, it kind of describes on what each of these... Uh, of uh, Yosef's decrees were. Okay. It says, Yosef spoke harshly to the brothers so that they would find atonement for having spoken harshly to him. Uh, as they had sought to kill him, so... It's the Ruach. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, he too sought pretexts to accuse them. Whoa. They sought pretexts to kill him, so he sought pretexts okay. to accuse them, yeah. Um... <laughs> They threw him into the pit, and he Don't therefore worry. threw them he into threw prison. Them into, oh, wow. Uh, since they kidnapped Yosef and sold him, he returned their money. <laughs> the money that, uh, I guess the money that that they received. You yeah, because they brought money yeah. to buy bread. So right. Yeshua was like, Psh, whatever, yeah. you can take the money back. Oh, yeah. So he, re he returned their money into their sacks so that he could accuse them. Of being thieves. Oh. In return for having caused their father grief, Yosef made them suffer by accusing them of having stolen his silver cup. Wow. And it says here, all of Yosef's harsh accusations against his brothers were for the brothers' benefit and meant uh, la shame shamaim to for cause... For the sake of heaven. 
Yep. Wow. Uh, to cause them to do teshuvah mm-hmm. and thereby save them from Gehenna. Man. Whoa! To save them from hell? Well. Why? Why do you do this? This is a great <laughs> insight. I often mm-hmm. said, Yosef, why are you doing this to your brother? They're your brothers. Why are you doing this to them? It's to make sure that they have tissue, that they have repented from everything that they had done against him. And once he sees that these guys are a change, they are a new creation. They're not the same brothers mm-hmm. that sold him, spoke harshly, tried to kill him. It's a new man right here. Then that's mm-hmm. when they can become family again. Mishpacha. Which is interesting. Oh, I'll tag after you. Yeah, go ahead. Because I was thinking, you know, it says that I do not, in Romans 11, verse 25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, my brothers, so that you will not be conceited. A hardening in part has come to Israel, or a blindness, a, an ability to not recognize the Messiah, basically, until the number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. And then um, going down a little bit in verse 30, it says, Just as you who formerly disobeyed God have now received mercy through their disobedience, verse 31, so they too have now disobeyed in order that they too may now receive mercy through the mercy shown to you. And this is the key verse, verse 32. So Romans eleven thirty-two, For God has consigned all men to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Mm. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, Roman or Greek, male or female, slave or free man, we're all locked up underneath disobedience so that everybody needs to repent. Nobody can lord over and be like, oh, I'm, I'm a believer and you're not. You're going to hell. I'm going to heaven. Like, there's none of that. Yeah, so if we have something to learn, uh, Hashem is going to put us through a nice little trial mm-hmm. until we uh, come to Him for <clears throat> clarification. Which is why we all have troubles. Like, what do I have to learn? Everybody has struggles and challenges. So when, you know... You know, we're ever in a position where we're not learning anything. You know, it's like, you know, extended past 40 days of, you know, bliss. And that's because we're just not listening to the teacher. So why should the teacher try? Mm. Wow. This is Joseph speaking harshly to his brothers. It had to do with them speaking harshly. And that that could be atoned for. That's amazing. So, That's a great if we're, so it's like Lashon Hara. We're <laughs> speaking ill insight. against somebody, so God is going to degree something ill against us. Mm. Which means that He has to speak it. <laughs> wow. So. So then that's giving us an opportunity for a teshuvah. So is this why Yeshua says for the sum of the law, the sum of the Torah is treat others the way you want to be treated? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because that's the ultimate goal of like the new man that we're supposed to be is we're supposed to dispense what we want to happen to us. True that. Mm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Say to the Liza. <laughs> no, 
goodness. By the way, uh, the psalm that goes with this Torah portion is Psalm 40. Psalm 40. <laughs> Speaking of our 40 days and all that, right? So uh, just a quick introduction to it. It says Rashi interprets the entire psalm as referring to the Jewish people. Radak interprets the psalm as the prayer of a pious person who has been healed after suffering. In other words, everybody suffering and then experiencing that healing after the suffering. Like atonement? Yeah, like atonement. That's what Psalm 40 is about. That's amazing. All right, you can keep going there. I was just okay. wanting to drop in. I was looking for Fine. some insights. Okay, so 10. <laughs> it's been 10 verses. How long have we been reading chapter 42? Okay. All right. I'm going to do nine again. Uh, you were part of it. Okay. You can finish, yes. Yosef recalled the dreams that he had dreamt about them. So he said to them, You are spies. To see the land's nakedness, you have come. He's, wait, hold on. He sounds like Yoda. Yeah, yeah. You see the land nakedness, you have come. Because Yoda like was Yoda. spiritual, dude. <laughs> Jedi, Yehudi, like it's the same word. All right. They answered him, not so, my lord. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cut. Take nine. Literally, because it's verse nine. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, let's see. Uh, okay, so they answered him, not so, my lord. That, would that be Adoni? Yeah. Interesting. Wait, verse nine, right? Yeah. Ten. Ten. Oh, you're, you're ten. in verse ten? I'm actually made it to ten. I can't believe it. They answered him, not so, 